Well, good morning, everyone, and uh, welcome to Essex Church, home of Kensington Unitarians, this community of kindred souls gathered from far and wide. For anyone who doesn't know me, my name's Jane Blackall, and I'm Outreach Officer here at Essex Church. Our minister, Sarah Tinker, is having the morning off, though some of you may see her later if you're going on the Beano to South End this afternoon. Our opening words are by John Saxon. Listen. Can you hear it? The Spirit is calling. It calls us in the silence and through the noise and busyness of our daily lives. It calls us in the brightness of the day and the darkness of the night, in times of hope and despair. Listen. Can you hear it? The Spirit is calling. It doesn't matter what you call it, for it has no name and it has many different names. The Spirit of life, the Spirit of love, the Spirit of compassion, the Spirit of hope, the Spirit of justice. Listen. Can you hear it? The Spirit is calling, calling to you and me. It's calling us to greater wholeness, greater connection, greater service, greater love. It's calling us to heal the brokenness within ourselves, within others and in the world. It's calling us to live more deeply. It's calling us to beauty. It's calling us to laugh and dance and sing. It's calling us to live through life's pain and sorrow. It's calling us to live courageously and kindly, to speak the truth in love and to bend the moral arc of the universe towards justice. It's calling us into community. It's calling us into the greater life of all. Our chalice is lit. This symbol connects us with Unitarians and Unitarian Universalists the world over, those who came before us and those who will follow. We kindle this flame as a symbol of the light we would keep glowing in our lives, a light of appreciation for those who differ, of loving kindness for those who suffer, and of esteem for all those who remind us of our heritage and our calling as agents of the Most High. So we're going to take our joys and concerns into an extended time of prayer now. So you might want to get yourself settled, put down anything you don't need to be holding, and get yourself in the right space for us to pray together. Spirit of life, God of all love, as we move into this time of prayer, this time of quiet reflection and companionable stillness, we are readying ourselves to listen for your call. In this world we know of so much suffering and destruction. We hear of violence, cruelty and injustice every day. People near and far are deprived of their most basic needs. 
The news is often overwhelming and we may feel quite powerless. It is all too much, this hurt. Let's take a moment just to breathe. And to think of just one thing, just one situation that you're concerned about in the world right now, one you feel particularly drawn to or connected with. A case where a person or a group of people or other creatures are suffering or in pain, being harmed or oppressed right now. You might focus on something you've only heard about on the news, maybe something that's going on much closer to home or something that's happened to you personally. Let's spend a moment focusing our hearts on that situation and directing prayers of loving kindness to all those who are affected by it. We acknowledge the many ways in which our world is hurting, and yet, in this world we know of so much goodness, beauty and wonder. We witness acts of kindness, compassion and generosity every day. Opportunities to help those in need, to bring comfort and joy, to stand up for what is right. These opportunities surround us wherever we turn. Despite everything, there are still so many ways in which we can flourish and grow. It is all too much, this promise. Let us take a moment just to breathe. And to think of just one thing, just one situation you are grateful for in the world right now. Something that's happened to you personally, or to someone you know, or a news story you've heard about. Perhaps someone has stood up against injustice and a wrong has been righted. Maybe something in the natural world or in an artist's work has brought you joy. You might recall a moment of tenderness or deep connection with a friend or loved one. <coughs> Or it could be that a seemingly impossible situation has been transformed by pure grace. Let us spend a moment focusing on that situation, wherever it is, and offering prayers of praise and thanksgiving for all that is good in our lives. Spirit of life, God of all love, you have no hands, no eyes, no voice but ours. Each of us has a unique and irreplaceable part to play in the healing of this world. Help us to discern this day how we might live out this calling as channels of your love. 
And in the days and weeks to come, give us the insight and courage we need to live well, to be our best selves, and to use our gifts for the greater good of all. Amen. The word vocation, like the words duty and law and religion, has a dull ring to it. But in terms of what it means, it's not really dull at all. Vocation comes from the Latin vocare, to call, and means the work a person is called to by God. Our vocation is the thing that we are summoned to spend our life doing. We can speak of a person choosing their vocation, but, but perhaps it is at least as accurate to speak of a vocation's choosing a person, of a call's being given and a person's hearing it, or not hearing it. And maybe that is the place to start, the business of listening and hearing. A person's life is full of all sorts of voices calling them in all sorts of directions. Some of them are voices from inside, and some of them are voices from outside. The more alive and alert we are, the more clamorous our lives are. Which do we listen to? What kind of voice do we listen for? There are all kinds of different voices calling you to all different kinds of work, and the problem is to find out which is the voice of God rather than of society, say, or the superego, or self-interest. By and large, a good rule for finding out is this. The kind of work God usually calls you to is the kind of work that A, you need to do, and B, the world needs to have done. If you really get a kick out of your work, you've presumably met requirement A. But if your work is writing cigarette advertisements, the chances are you've missed requirement B. On the other hand, if your work is being a doctor in a leper colony, you have probably met requirement B, but if most of the time you're bored and depressed, the chances are you have not only bypassed A, but you probably aren't helping your patients very much either. The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Neither the hair shirt nor the soft birth will do. What a long time it can take to become the person one has always been. How often in the process we mask ourselves in faces that are not our own. How much dissolving and shaking of ego we must endure before we discover our deep identity, the true self within every human being that is the seed of authentic vocation. I first learned about vocation growing up in the church I value much about the religious tradition in which I was raised, its humility about its own convictions, its respect for the world's diversity, its concern for justice. But the idea of vocation I picked up in those circles creating distortion until I grew strong enough to discard it. I mean the idea that vocation or calling comes from a voice external to ourselves, 
a voice of moral demand that asks us to become someone we are not, yet someone different, someone better, someone just beyond our reach. It is a notion that made me feel inadequate to the task of living my own life, creating guilt about the distance between who I was and who I was supposed to be, leaving me exhausted as I laboured to close the gap. Today, I understand vocationally quite differently, not as a goal to be achieved, but as a gift to be received. Discovering vocation does not mean scrambling towards some prize just beyond my reach, but accepting the treasure of true self I already possess. Vocation does not come from a voice out there calling me to be something I am not. It comes from a voice in here calling me to be the person I was born to be, to fulfill the original selfhood given to me at birth by God. It is a strange gift, this birthright gift of self. Accepting it turns out to be even more demanding than attempting to be someone else. I have sometimes responded to that demand by ignoring the gift, or hiding it, or fleeing from it, or squandering it, and I think I'm not alone. There is a Hasidic tale that reveals with amazing brevity both the universal tendency to want to be someone else and the ultimate importance of becoming oneself. Rabbi Zushia, when he was an old man, said, In the coming world they will not ask me, Why were you not Moses? They will ask me, Why were you not Zushia? The deepest vocational question is not, What ought I to do with my life? It is the more elemental and demanding who am I? What is my nature? From the beginning, our lives lay down clues to selfhood and vocation. The clues may be hard to decode. But trying to interpret them is profoundly worthwhile. Our deepest calling is to grow into our own authentic selfhood, whether or not it conforms to some image of who we ought to be. As we do so, we will not only find the joy that every human being seeks, we will also find our path of authentic service in the world.
We've now come to a time of meditation, so you might want to get comfortable in your chair. Perhaps you put your feet flat on the floor. You might want to close your eyes or focus on the candles in the centre. I'm going to read some words from Kathleen McTeague to take us into the shared stillness. We're only just in time to read this, I think. It's called Summer Sabbath, so you'll have to imagine a bit more sun than we've actually got this morning. Um, after this reading, there'll be a few, good few moments for silent meditation, and I'll sound our bell to bring this time of meditation to a close. <coughs> Some words from Kathleen McTeague. Go somewhere you haven't been before, where no one knows you, where you don't think twice about what to wear, how you look, or who might be watching and let your body ease out into the sun and bask, lazy as a cat. Untether yourself from the engines of busyness one by one. Laptop, desktop, wristwatch, scribbled lists, even the phone, especially the one you carry everywhere, that little tyrant. This will all feel unnatural, but it's not. Sit down by water. A place where the sea comes in warm as a breath, where the crest of each nighttime wave catches the moon and spreads it out again, lavish on the sand. Or by a little stream where a hundred tumbling voices burble and blend in your quieting mind until behind them you almost hear a choir of wood angels humming. Or by a still lake, water lapping so lightly Shores ringed by willow, alder, birch, and beyond them hills and mountains in their silence. Go, and don't think about time, how much you've got left, how to pass, fill, use or spend it, whether you might accidentally lose or waste it. And certainly never entertain the thought that time is money, it's not. Instead, consider your life who you love and why. How blessed you are to be here, resting under a shower of birdsong, or what strange bright luck it is to be the owner for a few years of this beating heart, these wandering eyes, the ears into which the kingfisher spills a small chuckle as she dips across the water. You might ponder these things, but also you could let the whole creaking apparatus of thought come to a halt. You might surrender and let the world spill in through the five gates. No sentry standing surly watch, no one left to resist or defend. The innermost courtyard stands empty then, a clear fountain singing at the centre.
Each month brings a new theme to explore in our services here at Essex Church and the topic we're going to be looking at over the course of September is mission and purpose. Over the next few weeks, Sarah will be helping us to consider our collective purpose. We'll be looking at some inspiring stories of Unitarian missionaries of the past, asking what we can learn from them and what we, Kensington Unitarians, what we're called to do together as a community. We'll be looking at what our mission might be here and now, how best we can use our resources to address some of the pressing issues of our time. Today I'm going to get started on the theme by considering what our mission and purpose might be as individuals, first of all, our calling or our vocation, if you like. Some of us might be more at ease with these concepts than others, or more specifically, more at ease with applying them to ourselves. Others might find them a bit too big and intimidating. Be not afraid. The message of today's service, in a nutshell, is that we all have a calling, one way or another. We all have a unique opportunity to use our gifts for good in the world. I'm not generally talking about vocation in the sense of being called to the priesthood or holy orders, at least not uniquely. It's possible there might be someone in the room or listening to the podcast later who does have that particular vocation as their end point. But perhaps there's a way of seeing which things in which you could say we are all ultimately ordained to a life which is unique, unrepeatable and shot through with the holy or at least with endless opportunities to sense a sacred dimension to what we're doing, if only, if, we are, if only we are willing to open ourselves up to seeing things that way. Our calling, whatever it is, might not be especially prestigious or dramatic. We might not have been summoned by a voice from the clouds, a sudden thunderbolt or a burning bush to get our attention, but nonetheless, every one of us has a sacred purpose in life. That's what I reckon anyway. And there's something to be said for taking the time to reflect on what that sacred purpose might be and making it a conscious focus, something that shapes the course of our everyday lives. There's, there's a well-known story, I'm sure many of you will have heard it before, quite possibly from this pulpit, um, but I think it bears repeating. It's the story of the three stonecutters. On a misty autumn day, many hundreds of years ago now, a traveller in the West Country came across a gang of workmen going about their business near the River Avon. The traveller was curious as to what they were up to, so he went up to one of the men and politely asked him, excuse me, what, what is it that you're doing? The man didn't look up from his work and he practically grunted his reply, I'm cutting stones, what does it look like I'm doing? He didn't want to make conversation. So this didn't satisfy the traveller's curiosity. He went up to another man and asked again. The second worker briefly looked up from his work and said, I'm a stonecutter. I came down from the north to find work. As soon as I've earned a few quid, I'm off home again. The traveller thanked him and moved on to try and strike up conversation with somebody else. He asked the third man once again, excuse me, what, what is it that you're doing? The third worker paused. He looked the traveller in the eye, and then he looked up to the sky. He replied, I am a stonemason, and I'm building a cathedral. I've journeyed many miles, I've spent months and months away from my family, I miss them desperately. But the bishop told me of his holy vision for this place. This cathedral will not be completed in my lifetime, but the future, this glorious dream, depends on my efforts here and now. 
One day, many people will find sanctuary here. I know it is the right thing that I must do. So the story of the stonecutters illustrates the way in which exactly the same work, the same action towards the same end, can be understood so, so differently, depending on the quality of the lens through which we choose to view it. There is something ennobling about choosing to see our work, our contribution, whatever it is, as having a holy purpose in the scheme of things, being a small but essential part of the unfolding of the universe. Take yourself seriously, at least some of the time. Act as if what you do matters, because surely it does. And by holding this sense of purpose, this sense of a higher calling in your mind, you might find you're inspired to do greater things than you would have done otherwise, or you might find that you have a great level, greater level of engagement, enthusiasm, commitment and satisfaction in those smaller, humbler, everyday activities, those humble works, works of love that are no less valuable in making the world go round. Joan Chittister, the uh, Benedictine nun and spiritual writer, she puts it this way. I came to realise that work is the lifelong process of personal sanctification that's satisfied only by saving the globe for others and saving others for the globe. My work is God's work, unfinished by God because God meant it to be finished by me. In our first reading, the theologian Frederick Buchner spoke of vocation as the work a person is called to by God, the thing we are summoned to spend our life doing. And he reflected on the difficulty of discerning God's voice from all the other voices that might be pulling us in different directions on any given day. Of all the possible paths that stretch out before us in life, which is most in tune with our highest values and our ultimate concern? And Buchner offers this rule of thumb that God calls us to the place where our deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. In our second reason, the Quaker educator and activist Parker J. Palmer took a slightly different tack. He spoke of vocation as a gift to be received, and he emphasises that it isn't about striving to contort yourself into somebody that you're not. It's rather about allowing your true self to flourish in authentic service to the greater good. He suggests that instead of asking, what should I be doing with my life, you should begin by asking, who am I, what is my true nature? And elsewhere, in, he's got an excellent and very small book on the subject, Let Your Life Speak. He says this, Vocation does not come from willfulness. It comes from listening. I must listen to my life and try to understand what it is truly about, quite apart from what I would like it to be about. Otherwise, my life will never represent anything real in the world, no matter how earnest my intentions. Vocation does not mean a goal that I pursue. It means a calling that I hear. Before I can tell my life what I want to do with it, I must listen to my life telling me who I am. I must listen for the truths and values at the heart of my own identity, not the standards by which I must live, but the standards by which I cannot help but live if I am living my own life. Words from Parker J. Palmer. Now, I think that, that way of thinking about vocation is valid regardless of where you are on life's journey, what stage of life you're currently in. It makes it a bit more obvious that we're not just talking about work as in day job or career, but as the entirety of all the contributions that we make to society, to humanity, to the world. And whereas Buchner's account of vocation is more about looking forward prospectively and listening for the call that will guide our next steps and shape our future course in life, 
Palmer's account offers a way of making sense of the span of life we have already lived. Look back over your life so far in all its light and shade and ask, what is it truly about? The poet David White has something similar to say on the nature of true vocation. He says, a true vocation always calls us out beyond ourselves, breaks our heart in the process and then humbles, simplifies and enlightens us about the hidden core nature of the work that had enticed us in the first place. Strangely, we find that all along we had what we needed from the beginning and in the end we have returned to its essence, but an essence we could not understand until we had undertaken the journey. A calling is a conversation between our physical bodies, our work, our intellects and our imaginations, and a new world that is itself the territory we seek. And uh, on the front of your order of service, you'll see there's some words from Viktor Frankl that, that also connect to this. One should not search for an abstract meaning of life. Everyone has his own specific vocation or mission to carry out a concrete assignment that demands fulfilment. Therein he cannot be replaced, nor can his life be repeated. Thus everyone's task is unique as his, his specific opportunity to implement it. Think of it this way. We can look back over the entire history of the universe as it has led to this moment. An apparently random, chaotic, we might say miraculous, unbroken chain of events that has brought each of us here into existence. Alive, awake, I hope and sitting here now in this room. Each of us was born into a particular context, which, as far as I can tell, we didn't choose. Bless you. We each have our own peculiar set of characteristics and quirks, inherited and learned, strengths and weaknesses, privileges and disadvantages, experiences of life and love. Hopefully, we each have a little bit of hard-won wisdom we've picked up along the way. Each of us is in a unique position to use our particular gifts, our personal resources, whatever they may be, to do good here and now in the place where we find ourselves. Ask yourself, what is it that you, and only you, are in a position to do? And maybe that's your calling. It might not be anything all that high profile, attention grabbing or seemingly significant. It doesn't have to look like a consistent, coherent, tidy, lifelong vocation all joined up. It might be more of a patchwork in which you're making up the pattern as you go along. But it is your irreplaceable contribution to the unfolding of the universe, and it may well have profound and far-reaching consequences way beyond those that are immediately apparent to you. Do what comes naturally. Play to your strengths. Go where the spirit leads and in doing so, respond to the world's great need, which is all too apparent wherever we are. And in that spirit, I'd like to close with a few words of encouragement from the theologian Mary Jo Leddy. Each one of us has at least one significant word to say with our lives. This word is who we really are, who we are meant to become, our calling in this world. Within this word lies the secret of our happiness, the source of our power, and the mysterious point of our being. Through this particular word of our lives, we bring the one thing still wanted and awaited in the world, the one thing necessary that no one else can give. May that be so for the great good of all. Amen.
To bless does not mean saying magical words, changing the mind of God, or altering the course of the cosmos. To bless does mean reminding each other of our gifts, remembering the wisdom that is within us, and recalling our common purpose. The choices we make and the work we do are how we bless each other and the world. May the words we say and the songs we sing name the wholeness we are and yet still seek. The world aches for us to join together and bring about healing, to toil for justice and to produce ever-increasing love. This is our calling. Go forth and live accordingly. Amen.